if you have your Bible, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 8. Uh, we've finally finished uh, our series in Romans 8. Pastor Seth uh, beautifully preached on the inseparable love of God. And today we're beginning a new series in the Gospel of Matthew that we're calling The Authority of Jesus in Matthew. And over the next few weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to spend um, our time in Matthew's chapters 8 and 9, which really highlight the authority of Christ. We're going to see his authority over sickness and over storms, over spirits, over sins and over suffering. So this series, uh, I'm very excited for not only uh, do I love preaching from the Gospels and periodically like to come back and take snapshots from the Gospels, um, but as was announced at the town hall meeting, we will have uh, our pastoral interns uh, begin preaching uh, week after week. And so I'm super excited for this and and, uh, looking forward to how the Lord will speak to us through his word. So at this time, would you stand with me as your act of worship to read and receive God's holy word from Matthew chapter 8, beginning with verse 1 to verse 4. Please hear now the reading of God's holy word. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. And would you join me in prayer once more as we ask God's blessing now. Father, we're very excited to open up now the Gospels, which give us snapshots and glimpses into Jesus and his life. And I pray, Father, that you would open up our eyes and Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us through your word to encourage us and to bless us so that we would hear your voice clearly. Pray, Lord, that you would drown out the voice of the world, that you would drown out our own voices, that you would drown out the voices of the evil one. And in this place, we would hear clearly what you have to speak to us today. We pray and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our passage today, beginning here in Matthew 8, uh, begins a new section of Matthew. So let me just situate us really quickly. If you're familiar with the Gospel of Matthew, you know that in chapters 5 to 7 is what is known famously as the Sermon on the Mount. And so the way chapter 5 begins is Jesus ascends a mountain, uh, he sits down, and he begins to preach one of the greatest sermons ever preached, a change-your-life kind of sermon. Well, when he finishes his sermon at the end of chapter 7 he uh, walks down and, and this is how Matthew kind of summarizes this section. Matthew writes the crowds were astonished at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So everyone's astonished that Jesus teaches with authority. You see, chapters 5 to 7, the Sermon on the Mount, they highlight for us the authority of Christ's words. But in our series in Matthew 8 and 9, we'll see what's being highlighted is the authority of Christ's works. You see, chapters 5 and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, is Jesus speaking about the kingdom of God, but chapters 8 and 9 are about Jesus signaling the kingdom of God is here. 
He not only does it through words, but he'll do it now through works. He'll not only do it through declaration, but he'll do it through demonstration. So as we begin this section in chapter 8, the very first encounter Jesus has involves a man with leprosy. Now why? Why that man? Here's our gospel truth today. Jesus' mission is to restore the least and the last to the Father. Jesus' mission here on earth is to restore the least and the last to the Father. And so as we look at this passage and we consider this gospel truth, we're going to ask three questions today. The first is, who are the least and the last? The second, how does Jesus respond? And third, what does Jesus accomplish? So who are the least and the last? How does Jesus respond? And what does he accomplish? So there are our three points, or three guidelines today. So here is where we'll begin. Who are the least and the last? Now keep your Bible open with me. If you look at verse 1, Jesus comes down this mountain, this great crowd is following him. And then look at verse 2. It says, And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him. And this is a very interesting scene because at this point, Jesus has astonished everybody with his teaching. And so he's enjoying a certain kind of celebrity status. But it isn't hard for this man to get to Jesus. And that's because as a leper, he was considered unclean. Meaning, wherever he walked, people kept their distance from him. They moved out of his way. As a leper, as an unclean man, when he walked into the room, the crowds parted like the Red Sea because nobody wanted to be near him. Nobody wanted to touch him. Right, think about the way that you act around uh, those at school or those in the office who come in with a cold or with a flu. You wish they would have stayed home, but there they are. And so what do you do? You keep your distance. You, you make sure you have no physical contact with them. You go extra hard on the Purell hand sanitizer. And when they sneeze in front of you, you walk out of the way because this area is now contaminated. When, when you see them push open a door, what do you do? You lower your sleeves and you push the door open that way. And you do all of these things. You take these precautions because this person is contagious. And you don't want what they have, so you keep your space. Now imagine something like that, but much, much worse. This man had leprosy, and leprosy had no cure. And the only way people knew how to avoid contracting leprosy is to avoid anybody who had it. And so here comes this leper. He's making his way toward Jesus, and everybody is getting as far away as possible from him. But if you can imagine, this is not a surprise for him. This is the routine. This is the everyday life. Because for him, he lived a life of always being shunned, always being rejected, always being treated like an outcast. You see, lepers in this society were treated as one of the least and the last. So why does Jesus begin his ministry with a person like this? Why does Jesus begin with somebody who is one of the least and the last? See, interestingly, Jesus didn't come to protect and guard the kingdom from men like this. But Jesus came to open the doors of the kingdom to men like this. And Matthew goes out of his way to show us this point. Because Matthew does something very, very interesting. And you have to be really alert to notice it. When you look at the story of Jesus cleansing a leper, it's recorded three times. It's recorded here in Matthew, but also in Mark and Luke. 
And Mark and Luke, whenever they record the story of Jesus and the uh, Jesus cleansing a leper, they always follow it with the same story: Jesus healing a paralytic. But Matthew takes that chronology of events and he moves the healing of the paralytic to chapter 9. And in its place, he records another story, a different encounter. And it's very curious because you don't know why Matthew does this until you actually read who it is Jesus is now dealing with. So in verses 1 to 5, Jesus deals with the leper. But look at verse 5. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. Jesus goes from dealing with a leper to now dealing with a centurion. And a centurion was a Gentile soldier. And the Gentiles were considered unclean in the eyes of the Jews. But the Gentiles were people who weren't a part of God's chosen people, and so they were looked down upon. And on top of that, the centurion was a Roman, so he was an enemy. Somebody on the outside, somebody outside the promises of God. And yet, Jesus ministers to him. Another one of these least and last people. And then to prove this is not just coincidental, Matthew does a third editorial move. He takes this story that happens in Mark and Luke before the cleansing of the leper, this healing of Simon Peter's mother-in-law. In Mark and Luke, it happens before the cleansing of the leper. But Matthew moves it to after the leper, after the centurion. Why? Why does he do this? Well, if you read in verse 14, it says, And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her. He's ministering here to a woman. Now, that may not be shocking to us, but if you understood the time of the Bible, in this male-dominated, patriarchal Jewish culture and society, women were treated as second-class citizens. And yet this woman is worthy of Jesus' attention. Now, put that all together. What has Matthew just shown us? That when Jesus came into the world, he came into the world and said, my kingdom is for the least and the last. In my kingdom, you have unclean lepers. In my kingdom, you have uncircumcised Gentiles. In my kingdom, you have unimportant women. And there's something symbolic happening. Now, I know I'm doing a lot of teaching, but, but track with me for a moment. Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience, a very heavily Jewish audience who knows the Old Testament very well. And if you notice, there's, a, there's something specific about that order, leper, Gentile, woman. It mirrors the divisions and the barriers in the temple. In the Old Testament, God had uh, told his people to construct a temple. And in the temple, there were these different barriers, these different divisions in order to keep the wrong people out. And the lepers, they were on the way outside because they were unclean. They couldn't enter the temple courts at all. They were completely on the outside. And then the next division, once you go in, was what was called the court of Gentiles. And only those um, who were Jewish could go further than the court of Gentiles. All foreigners could go no further. And then the next division was the court of women, which is the furthest any Jewish woman could enter. 
And do you see the division of the temple? You have the lepers over here, the Gentiles here, and the women here. Kept outside in that order. And yet when Jesus comes and he deals with the people, how does he deal with them? In the reverse. He's saying those on the outside are actually those on the inside. They get the closest access to me. Jesus ministers to the least and the last. Jesus ministers to those left in the margins. And this makes sense. This is the nature of his kingdom. What did he just teach on the Sermon on the Mount? He said, my kingdom is upside down and it's inside out. He said, the rich in spirit, it's not they who get the kingdom, it's the poor in spirit. It's not the strong that inherit the earth, it's the meek. It's not those who pray loudly out on the street corners that are heard by God, but those who pray in secret that are seen by God. It's not the best and the first that received Christ's attention, it's the least and the last. Jesus has brought his kingdom, and in his kingdom, he's come not for the healthy, but the sick. Not for the insiders, but the outsiders. Not for the clean, but the unclean. They are whom Jesus has come for. If you think about that, that Jesus, the King of Kings, the Son of God, would come and give his time, his attention to the least likely people is a humbling reality. Now, I've mentioned this before, and some of you here uh, were here, and some of you weren't, but um, two and a half years ago, I'm still mind-boggled at this. Francis Chan came to guest speak at Cornerstone. Francis Chan. If you don't know Francis Chan, he's a, a pastor and an author. He wrote a very famous book, sold over uh, two million copies, and he came to speak here at Cornerstone. And it wasn't us who asked him to speak. It was essentially he who asked us. He came to us. And if you know anything about what it takes to invite these famous preachers to your church, it's quite a process. Usually you don't have access to their emails. You can't send them a text. Hey, can you speak for us? You have to go online. They usually have a website dedicated you know, under their name. And you fill out a speaker request form online. And they ask all sorts of questions and you know, topic and theme and venue and event size. And uh, there's usually a pull-down menu and you choose from options. So like what will you know, anticipated attendance and you click on it and it's like one thing. 1,000 to 5,000, 5,000 to 10,000, 10,000 plus. And I'm always like, where's the 50 to 99 <laughs> so I can get them to come speak at the well for us? <laughs> you know, we get it in one sense, don't we? These are sought-after preachers. They have limited time, limited energy, and they want to maximize right uh, their time and their energy. They want to steward it well to, to impact as many people for the kingdom as possible. And, and so I totally get it. Which is why it's so mind-boggling whenever I think that Francis Chan came and spoke here to us. And in fact, he paid the price. We didn't pay for his plane ticket. We didn't pay for his car rental. We didn't pay for any of his meals. He paid the price to come bless us. He sought us out. And some of you may not know this extra detail that he had just come from this multi-thousand mission conference in Baltimore in the Inner Harbor. Then he came to speak to us. And then that Sunday evening, he went down to the airport and flew to Atlanta where he preached at Passion to 60,000 college students. Right, a man who is invited to preach to 60,000 people has every right to look at the size of our church, which was about half the size it is now, and say, why would I waste my time there? Why would I end up there? And yet it was so humbling that he would spend the Lord's Day with us in the obscurity of what was then Chalfont, Pennsylvania. 
And if I remember correctly, I think he started off the sermon say, saying, uh, I don't even know where I am. <laughs> now I tell that story because if you're humbled about that, if you think about Francis Chan, what an amazing humble man, then let me tell you about one much greater than him who gave us his attention. Right? One whose sandals Francis Chan is not even worthy to tie. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, came to this earth, and when he could have been dining with emperors and kings, he came down to the streets and he ministered to lepers, Gentiles, and women. He pursued the least and the last. He could have said to the leper who approached him, why would I waste my time with you? I'm late to my meeting, my appointment with Herod, with the chief high priest. Excuse me, please. But he came down the mountain just as he came down from heaven, and he did his ministry among the nobodies and the untouchables. This is the Savior who has come for you. And I'm not sure how you feel today. I'm not sure if you feel like an outsider, unimportant, insignificant, an afterthought in people's minds. But know today that Jesus had made you his mission. That Christ's radar, it doesn't blip and bleep when it spots the best and the first, but the least and the last. His radar doesn't detect the put together and the healthy, but the broken and the sick. So when Christ searches, he searches not for the righteous, but the unrighteous. This is what it means for his mission to be after the least and the last. That means for us, no matter who we are, no matter what you've done, no matter what has been done to you, nobody is outside of Christ's grace and mercy. You can't disqualify yourself from knowing Jesus. You're not too unimportant, too dirty, too sinful, too guilty for him to seek and to save. In fact, the very opposite is true. Being these very things, you are exactly the type of person he has come after. You know, the Sermon on the Mount was all about the kingdom of God. And so chapter 7, when it ends, it kind of ends with this question, well, who can enter such a kingdom? And chapter 8 gives us the answer. The kingdom is for the least and the last. It's for the lepers and the losers. Like this man, like me, like you. Now here's the second question I want to talk about. How does Jesus respond? How does Jesus actually respond to this man? Well, the man comes before Jesus. He kneels before him. He humbles himself. He's before a king. And he says in verse 2, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, this unnamed leper, he doesn't demand the Christ to do anything. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't demand Jesus to do anything. He simply expresses his faith and then submits to what Jesus desires. What, what do you want to do? I know you can do it. I'm not going to demand it. I'll submit to your desires. Which, just pause, makes me think, how do we respond to Jesus? What's our relationship with Jesus? Do you come to Jesus and make demands of him? Jesus, meet these demands in my life, or do you come to Jesus and you ask that your life are met with his desires for you? So this man comes, he makes his claim before Jesus. Now, we're not told what Jesus is thinking. We're just told what Jesus does. Verse 3 continues, And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. Jesus does the unthinkable here. He touches him. What everybody was intentionally avoiding to do, Jesus seeks out to do. Because if there was ever a time that Jesus could speak and something could happen with just the power of his words, now was the time. 
We're going to see next week when Peter preaches that Jesus calms the storm and he does it with just a speech. It would have been cool if Jesus stuck out his hand or touched the water and said, be still and everything was still, but he speaks and it happens. Here, Jesus could have just said, be clean, and he would have been clean, but instead he touches him. Why? Why would he expose himself in that way? And it's not ignorance. Jesus was a Jewish rabbi. He was a student of the Old Testament scripture. So he knew Leviticus 13 and 14. He knew all the laws regarding lepers. He knew that leprosy was so much more of a serious condition than just a skin disease because when you contracted leprosy, it ruined you. Utterly, entirely, wholly, fully, completely. It ruined you in at least three ways. In at least three ways. First, it ruined you physically. If you contracted leprosy, you were unclean. And this is because your skin would begin to swell. It would blister. In some instances, if it was so bad, your hair would turn white, not as a sign of old age, but as a sign of disease. In really extreme cases, those with leprosy would have their limbs begin to rot and fall off. And some of you may have eczema. You think eczema is bad. You haven't seen anything yet. Physically undone. The second effect is that it ruined you socially. You were socially outcasted. You were removed. You were exiled. And so Leviticus 13, verses 45 and 46 says this. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Meaning if you had leprosy, you had to live away from community, away from family, away from friends. And you had to declare, declare your unclean state to anybody who walked by. Now imagine having to tell every passing stranger your deep and darkest source of shame. Walking out in the streets and when you see a stranger declaring the thing you've been hiding for so long. Nobody would want to be around you. Nobody would want to know you. You would be socially undone. And third, it ruined you spiritually. You were spiritually cut off. Because you were considered unclean, you couldn't enter into the tabernacle. You couldn't enter into the temple where the presence of God was. And this means you couldn't bring your sacrifice to God. Even if you wanted to express your devotion and praise and celebrate God, you could not bring your offerings to Him. You were cut off. You were spiritually undone. So imagine the life of this leper. I mean, have you ever had a bad day? A day when everything just happens to go wrong? I'm sure you've had. I've had a few of those. Now, have you ever had a bad week? Some of you have had that. If you ever had a rough month, you've definitely had those. Have you ever had a long stretch of a tough and difficult season? Amen. But this guy, he had a hard life. Because his lot in life left him alienated and alone and abandoned in every way imaginable. So, so then understanding this set of circumstances, put yourself in his shoes. If you had leprosy, you saw Jesus Christ, you would go to him, you had access to him, what would you ask him to do? And I know what I would ask him, no brainer. I mean, first you got to start off, you know, humbly, Lord, have mercy. Please cure me. Please heal me. But that's not what he asked for. 
Now look closely because he doesn't ask to be cured. And don't assume the text says what you think it says. If you look closely, he doesn't ask to be cured. What does he ask for? To be cleansed. And that's significant because it shows that the problem, what this man is wrestling with, is so much more than agonizing pain of physical discomfort, but of social exclusion. He doesn't want to just be alleviated of the disease. He wanted the alienation in his life destroyed. He wanted to be cleansed so he could be restored. And Jesus senses the ache in this man's heart. Jesus knows his true desires. And so he does the unthinkable by touching him. And this is one of the clearest snapshots of the gospel. If you're like me and propositions and words aren't all that clear and you need to think in pictures, this is the clearest picture and portrait of grace of God at work. Jesus touching the untouchables. His touch is not a professional touch. It's not the way doctors and nurses handle you and prod at you in the hospital or draw blood. It's not, it's not the cold touch of a business handshake. It was a personal touch, a warm touch, a touch that communicated more than formality but familiarity. This touch was not an accidental touch. It's not the accidentally bumping to somebody on the street or momentarily brushing hands as you collect a change from at the counter. It was an intentional touch. The way you reach out to grab someone's hand when they feel afraid in order to comfort them and to reassure them. It was a touch that was meant to communicate. And it wasn't an unwanted touch. Uninvited, unwelcomed, violating, exposing, confusing. It wasn't a touch that buries you in shame and guilt and makes you feel like you have to live in hiding. It was a wanted touch, desired and needed and longed for. It was the kind of touch that satisfies the heart and the soul because it tells you that you're now safe and secure. It's a touch that's wanted because it tells you you are known and loved. Jesus touched the untouchable one. He didn't just speak a cold word of power, but extended a warm touch of compassion. Some of you need this kind of touch from this kind of Savior. Some of you need an experience of this kind of grace that makes the first move towards you because you know you can't reach Him. Some of you are avoiding the touch of Christ. And you're doing it by scrubbing yourself clean, washing yourself to make yourself presentable. Some of you are doing it by covering your nakedness, covering your sickness with garments of your own making, fig leaves of a kind. Some of you are running away or keeping God out because you're scared of how he'll react when he sees you. And you need the compassionate, restoring touch of Jesus. You need to hear Jesus saying to you this day, I'm not waiting up here on the mountain, waiting for you to make it to me. I'm going to come down the mountain to get you. I'm not going to wait till you get better and healthier. I'm coming down to heal and restore. I'm going to bridge the distance. I'm going to identify myself with you. I'm the one who's going to open myself up to risk by associating with you. And I'm going to do this not because I owe you, not because I have to, but because I want to and I love you.
because I want you to not only know these realities, but to experience it. You know, this leper, he had it right, because he knew Jesus could do something about his condition, and he knew he could do nothing. This is the posture you and I need to take daily before Jesus. It's not a posture you take once in your life when you first come to Christ, but each and every day. It's the rhythm of the Christian life. Jesus, I have a condition. I can do nothing, but you can do something. Make me clean. Make me whole. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Here's the third question I'd like to consider with you. What does Jesus accomplish by doing this? What does he actually accomplish? Because the touch put Jesus at a risk. Because the moment he made contact with this leper, Jesus should have been contaminated. Jesus should have been unclean. And yet something incredible happens here. Because the man's pollution cannot contaminate Jesus. Instead, Jesus' purity consecrates the man. Let me say that again. The man's pollution cannot contaminate Jesus. Jesus' purity consecrates the man. Because in the touch, when Jesus touches the man, there's a transfer. There's a transaction. Verse 3 says, immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And this is a powerful statement about who Christ is and the authority that he has. Because the statement is essentially this. The cleansing power of Jesus is infinitely greater than the contaminating power of sin. The cleansing power of Jesus is infinitely greater than the contaminating power of sin. Of all sin, of every sin, of your sin, of my sin. That when Jesus touched the leper, he was doing far more than just showing compassion. He was revealing something about himself, a truth about what he would do. And it's a truth, a principle captured by Apostle Paul when he writes in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The transfer that takes place when Jesus touches you and the sin that you have becomes his sin, the one who knew no sin. And his righteousness becomes yours. This is the heart of the Christian gospel. That when Jesus touched the leper, a transaction took place, a transfer, and it's the same thing that can happen to you when he touches you. That he takes your disease, he takes your affliction, he takes your condemnation, he takes your condition, he takes your filthiness, he takes your shame, he takes your contamination, he takes it upon himself, and when he takes those things upon himself, he also takes its consequences. The punishment you deserve now become his. The judgment you deserve now becomes his. The wrath you deserve now comes his. And in its place, what he gives to you is an overwhelming holiness and health and healing. And that he transfers a cleansing and a purity, forgiveness of sins, and a righteous status. And this transition took place at the bank of Calvary. For on the cross, he identified with your sin and your shame so you would not have to bear it anymore. You see, to trust Jesus means that just as immediately as the leprosy left the man, so too your sins leave you. And when Jesus does this, 
what He does in taking your sins, taking your afflictions, your pollution, your contamination, what He's doing, He's restoring you. You see, the way the story ends, Jesus doesn't heal the man, simply say bye and make and depart and, and, and go his own way. The text actually ends with, a, with an interesting verse, verse 4. It's not a throwaway line. It's actually the culmination of the story. It's the climax. Let me read for you. See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. And you think, okay, well, this is just the way the story ends. But no, friends, this is actually the climax of the story. You know why? Because in the Old Testament, Moses commanded those with leprosy that when the leprosy had left you, you would have to present yourself to a priest. The priest would inspect you and he would approve of you. This was the final step in the restoration process. And after you were approved and inspected, you would then offer a gift, a thanksgiving offering to God. And this step was so crucial because without it, you couldn't be reintegrated into society, but more importantly, you couldn't re-enter the temple into God's presence in order to worship Him. You see, the point of this miracle is not to prove that Jesus is a wonder worker or a mighty miracle maker. The point of this story is to authenticate and prove that Jesus alone has the authority to restore the least and the last to God spiritually. The question is, do you believe this about Jesus? Do you believe he can do this for you? Because at the end of the day, we all have to wrestle with this question. All of us who wrestle with shame and guilt and this fear that we have of the dirtiness inside of us, all of us have to wrestle with this question. Which has the greater authority? Which has the greater authority? Your contamination or your Christ? Which has the greater authority? Your sins or your Savior? Because, you see, if you think there are things about you that are too dirty, too stained, too shameful for Jesus to take, for him to forgive, for him to restore, then you're actually believing that your pollution has more authority than Christ's power. But the good news of the gospel is that the one who touches untouchables tells you that he... His work has more authority than your perceived worthlessness. That the cleansing power He has is infinitely greater than the contaminating power of your sin. And that's good news. That's good news. Because it means this for us, and I'll close. It means it's okay to identify yourself with the least, the last, and the lepers. Because it's those that Jesus came to restore. You know, in fact, it's safe to identify as one of these because Jesus identified himself as one of these. And he drew near. He touched the leper. The leper who should have been cast outside the city walls, he touched. So now Hebrews tells us that Christ was slaughtered and executed outside the city walls. That he took our place and he identifies. Which means is don't be afraid of Jesus. Don't be afraid of his touch. Don't be afraid that you might contaminate him because you can't. In fact, the risk runs the other way. Touch him and he'll cleanse you. He will make you whole. He will make you holy. 
For Jesus has come for the least, the last, and the lepers, like you and me. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful that it tells us of a Savior, the one we need. Not simply a wonder worker or a miracle maker, but the Son of God who has the authority to restore us to the Father. But would it come to those who are qualified in the sense that they are already righteous, already healthy, already put together, but to the least qualified. Because in your kingdom, the least qualified are those who qualify for your grace. I pray that we would all feel safe knowing Christ, knowing he touches the untouchables to now identify ourselves as one of the least and the last, to finally admit it, to finally confess it because our hope is in Christ, the one who comes after us and restores us to the Father through his work on the cross. Bless us now, Lord, as we come to the table. Sober our hearts. Give us understanding. Comfort the afflicted. Encourage the downcast. Rebuke the haughty. Call back the prodigal. Feed us at your table, we pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. People of God, receive now the benediction. Now may the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the love of God the Father Almighty, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, both now and forevermore. Amen. Hear the words of dismissal. Let us go forth to serve the world as those who love our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks be to God. Go in peace, friends.